Hello and welcome to tonight's episode of Myths and Stories, a Destiny 2 lore podcast. Uh, we are continuing our series on the Elixni slash Fallen, as some of you may know them as. Um, this is going to be part two. In our previous episode, we left off, well, we talked about kind of the Elixni's golden age, their time with the Traveler, uh, leading into the Whirlwind, their version of the Collapse, and then this period of time called the Long Drift, which was um, them, you know, chasing after the the energy signature of the Traveler to try and uh, uh, find out where it went, and they ended up in the Soul System by doing that. And where we had left off in the previous episode was that. Uh, Mithrax's mother, Enox, had, uh, in the course of scouring the ruins on the moon, had uh, gone down to the, the hive tunnels and been kind of drawn to uh, the lunar pyramid and entered it and discovered the entombed body of Nezarek and uh, promptly carved him up and uh stored the bits that's that's that that is creepy like the, you, you've come across a, a mummified i'm assuming mummified dead body and you're just like huh let's carve it up and use it yeah let's stick it in jars and call it a relic i mean to be fair they were like we're gonna eat our dead so yeah the desperate times desperate measures yeah. all that so yeah. she I you know recognized the power that was held within the the body of this being and I put it into relics to be spread you know I think with the intention of keeping them you know for herself and and her crew but inevitably they spread out across uh multiple fallen crews as they arrived in the soul system and were vying for any advantage they could get over humanity as well as one another yeah that's that's life of piracy is fittest fit you know survival of the fittest mm -hmm. best best man wins most well i guess in piracy the most ruthless man wins yeah or elixir or woman well and there was there's a few things so obviously this long drift uh is like this this we're learning i i say we are learning we we have learned a lot this season about the long drift and and the the piracy that has happened there and throughout the season of plunder uh we've taken on different uh pirate lords or whatever you want to call them are have these pirate lords been in do you, do you know if they were ever mentioned during the long drift or or are they more recent pirate lords um none of their names as far as i saw come up specifically in relation to the uh the the, the period of time that was the long drift um so I think it's probably more likely that at least most of them are of a generation where they were either born during the drift or were born after the Elixir reached the soul system. Um, okay. Yeah. If, if any were uh, like premier pirates, even during the drift, it, it hasn't mentioned it in a way that I remember. 
It just it it. I was thinking about it the other day um, about how these 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 elixir that are the pirate lords now that that we've gone through in the season of plunder and, and we've gone to each one of their hideouts and taken them out and stolen the relics back from them. Um, each one of those were they they were very I'm, and I I guess. It, this is weird to say out loud, but it, it, it kind of makes sense as I'm saying it. They were very set in their pirate ways. So that piracy seemed to have continued from all, all the way from back in, in the long drift all the way to now and is still kind of going. So it's, it's, it's interesting to me to see that they resorted to piracy out of necessity, and now it's, that's just their natural way of life now. That's definitely part of it is you know, if that's the life they knew and that's the life they were successful in, then like, why give up that power? Uh, sure. Another part of it is something that we probably aren't going to get into with this episode, but likely next episode. And that is kind of the state of fallen houses currently um, in game. Oh, that's has, right. Has... That's right. I, I totally forgot that like the, their whirlwind really like shut down a lot of their houses. I mean, some of them, like House Stone, we talked about last time, just died out. Like, they, they just don't exist anymore. Yeah. But tonight, we are going to start, uh, we're going to pick back up with that kind of initial, the Elixir are just arriving in the soul system. They're kind of scavenging, uh, you know, what they can, getting a feel for humanity and what humanity's capabilities are. Uh, a lot of the elixir at the time are either in the camp of um what is viewed as blind uh faith in the great machine like oh we've found it if we you know if we pray to it if we're if we're devout in it it will continue to bless us um whereas many of them are just angry and are of the notion of like Humanity doesn't deserve this. Uh, you know, it, it it was ours first kind of thing. They they see humanity as usurpers to what was previously their god. Yeah, and uh, that's that brings about a lot of aggression between the two and and humanity at this point in time. This is, you know, it, it, probably near the tail end of or or halfway through their dark ages. So humanity is not exactly a like peace-loving civilization even amongst themselves right now, let alone four-legged crab aliens coming down uh saying, "Hey, yeah. we we want to you know, we we want a piece of the ball in the sky." Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I was I, I think I was going to ask you that last time, and I don't remember if we covered it last time or not. When the Elixni did get to the Soul System, and they did, and and uh, Mithrax's mom did go into the pyramid, was that was that post? I I, I assume that was post collapse for humanity. Oh yes, because because that that pyramid ship had had been shot down and crash landed on the moon during the collapse. The long drift was hundreds of years um we don't right. know how far the distance was between reese the elixir homeworld and earth but it was enough time for the traveler to leave them arrive on earth you know arrive on mars technically uh go around do its terraforming have humanity's golden age and then have humanity's collapse 
and be partway through the Dark Ages of the Risen before the Fallen started coming into play. Jesus, that that is a long time. Because I mean, you think you think of the Golden Age itself. I mean, we don't have obviously we have no real record of of time for all of these. But like the Golden Age itself had to have been easily a thousand years, um, and then like the collapse itself probably a couple hundred years, and then the rise of the Risen. I mean, that could have easily been another couple hundred years. I mean, we this could be two thousand years between the the traveler arriving in Seoul and doing its thing and the elix and and the elixni finally getting here and doing the stuff with nezrak and 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 all that that's a that's that's just a long chunk of time it is it's hard to nail down an exact time frame um just because of the nature of like nothing has a date attached to it for the most part but if yep. we go back to that idea of Petra when she was saying like 16 centuries, I think had passed. Yep. Um, between that's our best point of reference. Awoken, is that is that one passage disappearing during the initial attack of the collapse and then reappearing sometime into the the risen dark ages. So yeah, yep. it, it's been a significant amount of time. So where are we uh where are we starting off tonight then? Yeah, so we were start as as we said, um some of these uh, the good majority of the Elixni were aggressive towards this new race that had, you know, stolen their god or had been chosen above them for reasons unknown. And uh the first major offensive made from the Elixni to the humans in what is now called the Hundred Years Siege, uh, was the burning of London. Interesting. It 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 it's it's weird to me to think like I know we call like the Cosmodrome Old Russia, but it's it's still weird to me to think that even having all that time have passed, that we still have labels for these things. Like we still have labels for cities and 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 areas and stuff. I know like Old Chicago is mentioned uh, through some of the lore, and and that was the that was the big place everyone was speculating was going to be uh, where Witch Queen was going to be. But I mean the fact that like these names are still attached to these places just i don't know why that just blows my mind yeah no it's uh it definitely it, it i think cements the idea of cities especially cities that are kind of characterize a people i uh, are are you know for their their names are forever lasting even when the city itself no longer exists like in the case of london and in, in in this you know in the destiny universe so okay. we don't have a ton of like lore card info about the burning of London. All we have really uh, is a single, a couple lines from a single lore card and then some idle chat, um, some idle dialogue from a few characters. Uh, so we, if we're, we're going to pull a little bit from the lore book, Achilles weaves a cocoon. Um, which talks primarily about a elixir under the name of Namrask, and Namrask in the uh, and also light chapter of uh, Achilles weaves a cocoon identifies themselves as uh, they think the first aggressor against humans, um, 
saying interesting as as they arrived in the soul system namrask says each ship began its own war with the humans but maybe i was the first and we pair this with the uh, idle dialogue of an npc that's no longer in the game by the name of lakshmi 2 and lakshmi if you just stood around her when a future war cult was a thing you would eventually hear the line of her saying, Another war story. I was there when the House of Devils burned London. And at first glance, you may not think those two are connected until we read the rest of the also light chapter of Achilles Weaves a Cocoon, because that one goes like this. One day, a machine comes to his market stall. He combs at his shell nervously. The machine humans are called exos. They remind him of the vex. It is easier to look at their armored shapes than the unsettling softness of the humans and two-souled awoken. This exo wears a colorful mantle. I recognize you, the machine says. He quails. Namrask sells fabrics, he croaks, pretending not to understand. Namrask, she laughs. I am old, empty weaver. Almost as old as you, I think. But unlike most of my kind, I remember London and you. I have not forgotten what you did when you were Achilles, and I never will, she says quietly. He stole that name, like any other plunder, and used it. A human hero's name, a great warrior and famous runner, Achilles, which means woe to the enemy. And that's where that bit of the lore card ends. Ooh. I'll never forget the transgressions that happened. <laughs> so, is it, it, so, um, but the 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 person speaking there to um, Achilles now Namrax um, is not Lakshmi. That's that's just a, a oh, no, guardian. It, it's Lakshmi. It's Lakshmi too. Oh, it is yeah. Lakshmi. Okay, okay, um, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, it, there there was a little bit that I didn't read where she mentions that her name means uh, a god with four is the same as a god with four arms. Uh, yep. Very much identifies herself as Lakshmi without actually saying it outright. Gotcha. Yeah, Lakshmi was was there for the burning of London, and you know Namra says that he was the first he believes to to lay siege to the humans, and uh, if she's you know pointing the finger at him as Achilles, uh, yep. then he was likely the one that kicked off the hundred year siege. Holy cow! Okay, so we have our we have our first uh, uh, battle, our first transgression. I, yep. It's 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 hard to call some of these battles, right? Like if it what it what is a one sided battle? Like right. the burning of London to me strikes me as that. It it wasn't necessarily a battle that was won by either side. In this case, it's more of a siege, like 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 takeover. Um, you know, just burn it to the ground and leave the ashes and walk away. Yeah, yeah. So. But we have our first 
transgress or our first battle, whatever you want to call it. We do with the burning of London. So um, this would have been one of the very first skirmishes shortly after the Elixir came into the Soul System, uh, and as time went on, there were more of these you know fights between the elixir and humanity as well as the elixir amongst themselves still uh as we saw during the long drift they really became a uh, a culture of like it's our house against all the other houses and like we we need to take what we need and you know we're gonna we're gonna look very suspiciously outside of ourselves uh, yeah, and it's during this time period that that little hatchling Mithrax that was strapped to his his mother's uh, you know bandolier, uh, yeah. <laughs> as she was carving up the relics of Nezarak, has started to grow up, and uh, is trying to you know forge his own path in this uh, this very violent time, and so we see some of that. In the third chapter of the lore book, Above All Else, entitled Chosen. And that one goes like this. My mother couldn't, could not keep me swaddled to her chest forever. I was no longer a child and no longer in need of sheltering. I was my own person and it was time that she understood that. I knew that she loved me, because she shared her ether with me, because she killed those who harmed me, because she wanted better for me than the life we had. But we are not always the arbiters of our own fate. I aspired to nothing short of her approval. She was our inspiration, our leader, our hope, Kel of our house and protector of our people. She who gave me a name that meant strength above all else. She named me Misrax, and I was now strong enough to bear it. On the day I told her I was capable of raiding at her side, she sat together in the cargo bay hold of our catch. There was not the pride in her eyes I had hoped for. She was transfixed by the medallion around my neck an icon of the great machine, one I had taken from the corpse of a splicer, one I had earned through blood. She tore it from my neck and crushed it in her hand. This will not protect you, she shouted at me. This will only lead you to death. I had never feared my mother before. But I had never seen her look at me the way she did that day. She pushed me up against a wall with her upper arms and pressed the bent charm against my brow. No son of mine will beg for scraps in the shadow of the Abandoner. But even as she threatened me, I felt her press something into one of my hands. A reliquary one of the few she had forged from the treasures of the moon. She saw the recognition on my face and stepped back, releasing me. I could tell she wanted me to inspect it. I had never seen one of the reliquaries up close, and though the glass was clear 
The oily fluid inside obscured everything embalmed within. Yet still, I felt its presence, worming behind my eyes like roots of a great tree burrowing into soil. It whispered to me, not with words, but with promises blooming behind my eyes in visions of glory. When I looked up to my mother, I asked her why we could not have both. Why we could not seek the power we had stolen from the moon and simultaneously earn the right to seek refuge beneath the great machine once more. You are brave and curious, my mother mused. But you do not yet understand the brutality of the world. And then she showed me. She drove a knife into my side, twisted it, and split my carpus apart. I did not give her the satisfaction of hearing me scream. Let this be your first lesson, she said to me. You are my crew now. And when your crew questions your leadership, you make an example of them. She drew the knife out of my side and handed it to me. Never forget that. And I promised her that I wouldn't. And that's the end of that lore card. Well, shit. <laughs> Brutal pirate's life. We'll bet. Uh, we'll bet. Holy cow. Um, so, obviously, Mithrax has grown. Um, is Do we know if, at this point if, uh, if, if his... What, what do we call them? What, what, would they be like stepbrothers? Rackus and... and I, I forget the, other, the, the second one's name. The two that Aramis yeah, uh, handed um, over. Civics. Civics. Do we do we do we consider them as like stepbrothers? Are they crewmates? Like what 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 relationship do you would you consider that between uh, Mithrax and the two I of them? I think probably stepbrother is is accurate. Like they, um, you know, were around the same age. If I recall correctly from our readings last week, he mentioned that they they would protect him uh, if. Yep. You know, people were trying to steal his ether and that kind of thing. So I think there was a, a familial bond of some sort there. But now, but now we're seeing we're seeing Mithrax as a be, beginner pirate. Yeah, kind of. He's you know he's grown. He at least thinks himself strong enough to start leading his own raiding parties or or go yeah. along on raiding parties with his mother and and you know eventually lead his own. And and have a and have a, a a different point of view. He he mentions in this lore card why can't we go for power and seek salvation underneath the great machine? Like that's it's interesting to me to see it from that side of yes, power is 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 good, fine and dandy, but why can't we have both? And then for his mother to just be like, no, you can't. Like power is taken, and that's it. Like that's you know, and then boom, knife. Knife side, kidney shot. Like, yeah. <laughs> if they have kidneys, I assume they have kidney. But yeah, so uh, and then the charm. Th I'm assuming this was just like some do do nothing doodad that he picked up and was just like, oh look, pretty. This will this will grant me protection. Yeah, it seems seems that way. Obviously, his mom's like, it, this ain't gonna do shit. Like, 
cool you got a little good luck charm ooh that ain't that ain't gonna that ain't gonna help you with with survival that's not gonna help with anything like that's not how the world works uh in the life of a of a pirate elixni yeah and she she refers to the traveler as the abandoner not as the great machine or anything exactly and that's what, and that's where I was thinking of like the different points of view where where she's like she sees this as like an abandonment like she's like screw that thing like that thing brought us nothing but what the, this state that we're in now so like to hell with that thing take the power and and be the power that's yeah yeah so uh, we can see some of what happens here during the week five season of plunder cutscene you know Mithrax inherits. One of those relics, as as was just described, and uh, it does grant him significant power and and capability. Um, it also grants him a lot of aggression and bloodlust. I'm curious if that's a if that's like a side effect of using darkness. That's a good question. I don't know if it's a side effect of using darkness or if it's just a side effect of using the Nezarak relics. Oh, that's a good point. Because the relics that we, as we pick them up during the season of the plunder, like we're we're told not to touch them, not like don't mess with them, don't look at them, like set them on the shelf. Ido and Ido and Mithrax will do their stuff with them, right? And that's it. Like so, we we haven't even had any chance to like really mess with whatever's whatever power could be coming from them, right? So yeah, no, that's yeah, that's a good point. Though I think there's some validity in wondering if dark in general causes an increase in aggression aggression uh because if we think back to like the um the collector's edition from witch queen where ikora is looking over the reports sent to her about stasis they're theorizing that like stasis was too aggressive and it learned and it like has it backed itself off yeah it was it was a it, it was a lore reason, re- reasoning for why Stasis yes, got yes there. <laughs> and I freaking love that. I love what they can explain because video game, but with lore or some type of entry like that. I absolutely love stuff like that. And not just like for some vex reason or because fucking Toland. Those are not reasons to me. Uh but yeah, like the fact that Stasis was aggressive. And it learned and backed it, like eased itself back. So now it looks like, oh, well, it's not too bad. You know, it it just slows. It it doesn't do a free. It doesn't do. It's not so bad. Like maybe we'll just keep using it. Yeah. And then like I also think of like uh, um, Rulk. Um, it, now, granted, and I'm curious if it's if it's the this lifestyle that like turns them more and more towards hatred, and then like the darkness like amps that up to eleven. Because like when Rook finally gets his hands on darkness, like he he kills the entire planet. He was already pretty far gone at that point, I'll, though. I'll give you that one. I then that's why I say I wonder if it's a combination of the two, so. or if it's just like whatever your whatever lifestyle you've been living now, darkness just amplifies that. But yeah, it, it's that, that'd be an interesting thing to look at there. But you're saying here here with with Mithrax, it it elevates his aggression it it definitely seems to and we can see kind of the conclusion of that elevation in the uh fourth chapter of the above all else lore book uh and it goes like this 
We had discovered a ship full of human usurpers hiding behind one of the moons of a dusty red world they called Mars. Generations of survivors cowering on a derelict colony ship since the great machine failed them. Civics, Rackus, and I led the raiding party that boarded their vessel. The humans were malnourished and pitiful, yet they still tried to fight us. The battle was short and brutal. I watched Rackus rip a usurper's arms out of the sockets and throw them to the floor. He was so strong back then. We all were. Our growing ether shares were intoxicating, as was the bloodlust of unrestricted violence. Rackus was massive even then, stronger than all of us. One of the human champions, if they could be called that, challenged Rackus. The rest of us stood by as he tore the human's limbs off one by one and then crushed what was left of the champion's head between his hands. The other humans threw down their arms and begged for the lives of those who did not fight. Noble, but foolish. I corralled the survivors into an airlock and sealed them inside. Rackus and Civics disagreed with me on how we should handle them. Rackus suggested that they would be more valuable in servitude rather than be given to the cold dark. Imagine it, he asked me, usurpers wearing the sigil of our house, doing our bidding for us. Civics seem amused by this notion. Usurpers serving us, he said with delight. We could steal back the great machine's favor by taking from them their identity. Rackus reached for the airlock controls, and I struck his hand away. He looked at me with confusion and attempted again, disrespecting my leadership in front of the others, and I knew I had to do something. Without hesitation, I evacuated the airlock into space, killing our captives. The brothers, angered, fought back. I held honor to my aspirations, strength above all. I butchered half the dregs loyal to Rackus and Civics, and then turned my blades on the brothers. In spite of their struggle, they ended the battle at my feet. Half their followers dead, and the others huddled in fear. My mother was fluent in the language of violence, but I was eloquent. I marooned Rackus and Civics on an asteroid for their final punishment, along with their surviving crew and left them with a knife and my mother's lesson. When your crew questions your leadership, you make examples of them. I returned to our catch, towing the derelict colony ship. When I told my mother what had become of Rackus and Civics, I expected her to approve, but instead, I saw something haunted in her eyes. I thought she was ashamed of me of what I had done, but I was only following her example. I was victorious, and yet in victory, I felt emptier than in any failure. It was not until much later that I realized the truth. My mother was not ashamed of me. She was ashamed of herself. And that's the end of that lore card. 
Holy cow. I mean, the life of a pirate, right? Like, question my leadership, get taught a lesson. In this case, (laughs) (laughs) Captain Jack Sparrow, that shit. (laughs) Mithrax is Barbosa. I was going to say, Mithrax is Barbosa and just marooned Rackus and and Civic. I didn't realize he marooned both of them out on this rock with with whatever was left of their crew. Like he gave it and killed half their crews each. Yep. And then what? Dock the rest? Like what the hell? Just kicked him out. Mithrax brutal, bro. Yeah, Mithrax had a mean streak for sure. Um, and we can actually see a little bit of a continuation from this in the castaway shell, which is the ghost shell from the season of plunder. Uh, We see it from a slightly different perspective and we see what became of these two, or at least one of these two. And uh, the lore card on that reads like this. If Misrax and I have one thing in common, Spider rumbled, it's that we keep an eye toward the future. He turned a delicate ghost shell over in his massive claw, admiring its elixny styling. Even when we lived from one raid to the next, stealing from anyone who crossed us, we always dreamed of more. He stared into the middle distance, briefly lost in reverie. Including a place we could call home. Outside of that filthy catch. As it happened, Misrax eventually granted me a whole planetoid of my own. He chuckled ironically. Just not the way I had hoped. When I was finally picked up, I was no longer a raider wanted throughout the system. He opened his arms wide, palms up. I became Spider. A simple merchant with a bounty to collect. In hindsight, getting marooned on that forsaken rock was the best thing that ever happened to me. He shrugged noncommittally. Maybe being stranded in the last city will serve me just as well. That's the end of that lore card. Yeah. But I, I know there's a few dialogues that add to this as well between uh throughout the throughout the plun throughout the season of the plunder um the little interactions where it's like go visit spider in the elixir quarter and you you happen upon him and like he and mithrax are there and they're talking with each other um i know that's that's where we first learn that that rackus is spider like that's yep. that's who he becomes but uh but yeah like i it it's it's interesting I, it's it's interesting to me to see that Spider has this this I, I hesitate to call it like a positive outlook, but it's like a it's it's more of a opportunist outlook, right? Yeah. Like he he gets he he's marooned on this rock, and then when he's finally picked up, now he's just a spider. Now he's just a merchant. Now he's now he's taking advantage of the next like the next whatever the situation is that's prevented to him. That's where he thrives. That's where he's taken advantage of. Or that's where he is. T- he's taking advantage of that situation to to better himself, which is, I mean, I guess theoretically that's still kind of a pirate life, but just not as ruthless and brutal. 
Yeah, it, it's more it's more a mobster life. Yeah, which is very much what Spider is at this point. He's a mob boss, right? But uh, I I I don't know which is I don't know which would be better, a mobster or a pirate. <laughs> I mean, they they both traditionally have pretty short lives, so. <laughs> You, you're not wrong. <laughs> Holy cow. Okay. So Mithrax is maroon. Now, now and and I've, I'm probably jumping ahead, as I usually do. Uh, there's no mention of civics in the ghost shell lore. What the hell happened to civics? Yeah, so civics isn't mentioned in the ghost shell. Presumably they were both stranded on the same planetoid? Um, that's what I figured. We do know that Civics got out though. Like he he survived that encounter um, because Civics is the uh, I think it's a captain that we chase throughout the uh, Black Armory forges. Who is he's trying to to take oh, over the that's right. the forges to you know better equip the Elixir in some way. That's right. And then when you finally get to like Burgosia, like he's I want to say there was a quest there at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the quest is like to light the forge and and defeat him, if I recall. And correctly. defeat him, yep, yep. And then he drops a spider tank on you, and you're like, "Ha ha!" Yeah, jokes on you. <laughs> I've dealt with spider tanks all day long. Oh, but so at this point in the Elixir story, though, you know, this I I don't know if this is the the incident that makes Mithrax's mother, you know, go maybe we shouldn't be using these like may- maybe i'm turning my my own children into monsters with these i yeah you think <laughs> <laughs> but for for whatever reason be it this you know this incident or something else um it is decided that all of the relics of nezarak all the pieces of nezarak are gathered back up and are hidden away across the the system um in you know various tombs of Nezarak. I uh, but that doesn't mean the Elixni are not aggressive anymore. It just means they're not psychotic, I guess. Uh <laughs> what what level of berserker would you like? Right. Like, you know. Um and they're they're still making active attacks against humanity. And the next one we're gonna talk about uh, is an attack that kind of forged the future of everyone's favorite Titan, Saint-14. So, not to go into all of Saint's uh, backstory, but a young Saint-14 was sent to Mercury with a group of civilians as one of the first attempts to establish a colony off of earth after the collapse i uh, and this okay. is this is when humanity is trying to find a safe place you know um and it, it is determined that like okay earth is kind of safe like the uh, the city uh didn't exist in the way that we know it um it, it was just kind of a, a you know it was still just those ramshackle tents and and a few buildings here and there and uh but they wanted to branch out. They wanted to say, like, okay, let's let's go elsewhere, and maybe you know, if we have multiple cities, 
across a couple different planets, it's a better chance for survival, was, was the thought process. Decent reasoning. So Saint-14 was sent with a group of colonists to establish a colony on Mercury in a place called the Zephyr Station, or that was the name of the colony, was Zephyr Station. However, they were tracked as they left Earth by the fallen House of Rain. And uh, they, you know, gathered their forces and arrived shortly after the colony had just kind of started getting its feet under it and uh, decimated the entirety of the colony. Holy cow. Now, we don't have any record of what of that battle of what happened to the colony itself. We just kind of know that it existed and then it didn't from And then it and then it did from context <laughs> of other things, but we do have record of Saint 14 who was I believe the only guardian on Zephyr Station. I think you're right making what he believed at the time was going to be his final stand against, I think, the entirety of the House of Rain. And, and remind me again, House of Rain was the, was, was, uh, like Stone was like the, the military, what was House of Rain? Yeah, House of Rain were the, the soothsayers, the prophecy That's right. tellers, That's they're right. the ones that predicted a Kell of Kells. But of course, now at this point in time, they they piracy rules everything, and now they're just ruthless. Pirates, yeah, I mean at this at this point in time, every fallen house is right, right. You know, ruthless and violent. Piracy rules all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we we through through some time traveling that I'm not going to explain right now. Uh, during the season of dawn our guardian ends up being able to see and interact with saint during this kind of final stand on mercury or what saint thinks is his final stand on mercury and um we are you know we we help saint repel the fallen that have overrun zephyr station and just to give some context about how saint views the fallen at this point and why he views the fallen the way he does from this point until very very later you know almost current day i you know as we're fighting alongside him one of the dialogues he gives us is all is lost guardian get out of here i'll hold them off as far as i as long as i can the fallen cannot be stopped they do not negotiate their bargains are lies. I've watched them burn and pillage whole villages in the Cosmodrome. I've watched dregs eat children. They envy us. Their legends say the Traveler chose them before us, and they will kill. They will torture, they will maim to earn their machine god's favor. Yeah. So Satan has seen some shit from the fall he's he's seen some shit from him yeah i do i do remember that uh that little interaction there that was a i mean there was ton they they throw like six walker tanks at you yeah. at you like it really was like the battle to end all battles and i i guess technically we helped 
Yeah. So it was Saint and his paradoxal guardian. Right. Yeah. This battle is just between Saint and House Rain, and Saint is very much on the back foot. This is a young Saint. This is a like gotcha. Was gotcha, not resurrected gotcha. more than a couple years ago. Saint fourteen. Um, and this was you know, he he is very much you know he's failed his mission. He is it's cost the lives of civilians. And that's like the one thing for a guardian, like right. humanity, civilian and humanities that you are, you are guarding that. That is why you are guardian. So for him, for him to fail that, that's like a, that's a huge blow to him. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a really big moment that kind of enforces the, the character of Saint for, you know, forever beyond that point is his failure and us, our guardian coming in as this shining example of of what a guardian can be and you know we essentially become his inspiration to you know turn into what we know him as now that's that's such a paradoxical thinking right like (laughs) we we are this awesome guardian because of guardians like saint but saint got his inspiration from us from the future because time travel and yeah it yeah (laughs) but it's this this isn't a saint episode Uh, fair enough fair enough but yeah so but we see like this is what becomes of the house of rain is they make this attack on zephyr station um are very nearly the end of saint 14 and are subsequently wiped out once our guardian arrives on scene to to assist uh and is that is that the official end of is like like how stone ended with the hold off at reese is this the official end of house rain uh presumably because as far as i am aware they have never shown up again so i I think this is like this was it okay we're just out here eliminating houses why not not the first it won't be the last uh this is very true (laughs) (laughs) but no so the fallen did something or the elixir did something very interesting for humanity uh and we you know zephyr station was kind of another one of those one-offs like the the burning of london and and they had been doing these kind of you know these little guerrilla attacks oh there's a weakness there get them there's a weakness there get them there's a weakness there get them uh but they they also accomplished the you know not the goal they wanted but what they ended up doing was also giving humanity a common enemy in a way that oh, sure. they didn't have before. You know, humanity's enemy was other humans that wanted to hurt them until right. there was this external force that everyone could rally behind. It's like, no, we need to join forces because those guys are going to get us. Uh, and that's, this is like, this is like post, well, not post, I guess, I guess this is kind of like how the, the end of the of the risen and possibly the warlords happens because of this a little bit uniting enemy yeah a little bit uh and we actually see kind of that viewpoint take shape from a a fairly unlikely source uh and that is the still guardian at this point Raziel Azir better known as Dredgenior yeah but this isn't a dredging episode. This isn't no. a dredging episode. Before 
they were a dredging. Uh, they were the guardian, Rezul Azir. And uh, in the lore card, the, excuse me, the grimoire card of D1 called Brazil Azir before these walls. So before the walls of the city had been built, I Brazil kind of noted on that fact. Um, so they say in this card, great powerful men and women, the risen stood at different factions sides, some protection, some enforcers, most misused possibility. Misery crept into this false paradise, yet hope lingered, seeing the cracks in the society born beneath the giant's fractured shell, some among the risen challenged the disillusion of all that could be. They would no longer serve as instruments of oppression, they would be more. Thus began an unnecessary war made necessary by greed, ambition, fear. And in the chaos of this struggle came the scavengers, aliens with appetites, a common enemy. In the end, the scavengers were repelled, and the factions fell, their grip broken, though their beliefs remained. This was the earliest days of the Guardians, when might found purpose, prosperity was in reach. Rezil had been a champion of these wars, a leader. Against the alien pirates, he had been more. If the giant wasn't a god, maybe Rezil was. So that's where we're going to end on that lore card. But just kind of really showcasing that, like, there was a lot of infighting during the Dark Age, as we know. And the arrival of the Fallen... They said gave them a common enemy to really rally each other. Absolutely. Around. I mean, he says it there in the lore card, like it, the the to to have to have all this infighting and then have this this thing that you know might now has a focus. Like, I, I guess that was the biggest problem with all the with all the risen when they were first risen. Is now you just have this super powerful being. Right. And he has no idea like that being has no idea what to do with that power. Mm-hmm. And so they whatever their base instincts, because we and we've talked about this, too, when Guardians Res, they have this like base instincts and these these basic things that take over. Like with Drifter, it was like, I ain't sticking around. I'm doing the opposite of what you say, you know, and for every Guardian, it's different. But to have this power and and not know what to do with it other than to be powerful. And I mean, we've theorized too, that like, you know, what if, what if convicts, what if criminals had, had been res, like what would they turn out to be? Would that, would that be where the warlords came from? Like, you know, what if a policeman was res? would, would his moral compass lead him to be a, an iron Lord? Like that's, it's, it's interesting to see that. And then to see Raziel have that, to voice that, right. To say, Hey, you know, now now there's a focus now there's a common thing hey that pirate enemy thing is trying to kill all of us it doesn't care if we're guard if we're risen it doesn't care if we're warlords it doesn't care if we're an iron lord it doesn't care if we're lightless that thing wants to kill all of us and be the only thing left here so let's turn towards that 
and and stop it from doing that exact thing of wiping us out so that's i that i definitely see that as like the the and and he even mentions it here like the early days of the first guardians like it's to have that that common enemy of the the pirates of the elixni be the uniting force among them all yeah so the next conflict between the elixni and the guardians and the city at this point is a pretty famous one uh this is the battle of six fronts now we don't have a good lore card that describes it but we do have a couple of items that give us some information as well as the cutscene. Uh, I forget exactly when it came out now, but the cutscene of Zavala being resurrected. And then I guess I should say trailer more than anything of Zavala being resurrected and, you know, finding people and then eventually like literally building the walls of the city in that trailer. There is a portion that is Zavala fighting in the battle of six fronts. And this was the first uh, concentrated effort of a fallen house, I believe the House of Devils, uh, to try to take and eradicate the city. Now, this is a time where the city was not as we know it. It was kind of that in-between stage between the city we know and that ramshackle group of tents and, and buildings. They, they were just starting to kind of build the walls, but things were not, you know, shored up yet. There were holes in the defenses and uh, there were six in particular that were identified as weak points that the fallen attacked. And based on that, that trailer scene, they attacked in the dead of night and it was unexpected you know, there, there are citizens fleeing those areas as there are guardians, specifically titans. This is the titans moment to shine. Uh, as titans were rushing to those gaps in the walls to try and hold back the forces of the fallen. And uh, hold back they did. And we can see that in the mark of the six fronts, the actually a blue titan mark. Uh, and the, the flavor text on that says, Four orders of titans held six approaches in the first great battle around the last city, and not one front broke. Like, that's, that's literally why the titan symbol has six sides to it. It is six sides made of four quadrants. Four orders guarding six fronts. Yep. Yep. It's exactly where it came I literally, from. I literally have the little, I've got the little, uh, uh, as part of my desk toys, I have the, the Destiny 2 um, collection edition. Um, I don't know what to call them. They're like little baubles, uh, and it's one for each class. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Titan one is like a, it's like a little pillar, and it's got the little, it's got the Titan symbol stamped right on the top. The Hunter one is this little tetrahedron looking thing, and, and it's got the little, little Hunter symbol on it. And then the Warlock is just like, it's like this warped space and it's got the little warlock symbol in front of it. But yeah, I was, I'm literally like, as you're, as you're reading that, I'm looking at this Titan symbol and I'm going, that is exactly why that is how that is. Yep. It's got the four quadrants for the four different houses. It's got the six sides battle of six fronts. 
there it is. That's that's literally the the Titans were the reason why we won that battle. Oh, absolutely. And you you mentioned um, House of Devils uh, possibly being the leading force to it. Were there more houses here, or was it just House of Devils? And uh, a two part question: what what are what what were the House of Devils? Yeah, so it it doesn't um, specify, though. I have to imagine if there were more than one house working together, it would be a it would be a larger force than what four groups of titans could could hold off. Um, and also, a later battle that we're going to talk about next uh, is referenced as the first time that the fallen had united to make a concerted effort, which makes me think this was just one group. Um, now the house of devils was previously, let me look it up here. Uh, house of devils was previously known as the house of dancers, uh, which would have been the house that Aramis came from. Right. So presumably Aramis was at this battle. Very likely. Yeah. Okay. So, so Aramis is uh, like, this is this is one instance where Aramis has had interactions with guardians and humans and whatnot, um, and and to have a to have a failure there on the Elixni side, that's that's got to be a pretty big blow to the to the House of Devils. Oh, and not just a failure; it was a absolute slaughter. So they didn't, you know, they they weren't able to to break through on any side. Not only that, but we see from the mark of the sortie another blue Titan class item. The flavor text on that says, at six fronts, two firebreak commanders led a sortie beyond the walls and reclaimed five miles of scorched land from the fallen. Jesus. So two commanders led... Two commanders with just a couple of ships. Like, yep. that was it. Like They, took, they retook five miles of battleground around the city from the fallen. Yeah, I'd I'd call that a decimation on the on the Elixni part. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty this, heavy this, blow. This 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 is the Elixni's old uh, old London burning of London. That's that's their loss. This, yeah. Whereas old old London was our loss. This is their loss. That's that's the equivalency there. Yes, big time. And uh, we know some of the titans that that accomplished this uh, from the. Um, the Iron Banner D1 Grimoire card, uh, where it says the city remembers Felwinter and Yolder, Scory and Timur, Radagast and Gellion, and the others for their invincible patrols during the Six Fronts and the Wall Building. Uh, it also mentions that's a lot of Iron Lords. A lot of Iron Lords. It also mentions that Lord Saladin was there. Along with uh, Shax, Zavala. I was going to say, I'm, assume, I'm assuming Shax and Zavala. Like, mm-hmm. if if two of the greatest Titans in Titan history weren't at the Battle of Six Fronts, they can't even call themselves Titans anymore. I'm I'm taking their titles away. Yeah, uh, as well as Saint Fourteen and Osiris. Actually, uh, although Osiris is not a Titan and is not, you know, made too big of a deal of the fact that he was there, uh, he was in support of the the Titans that were there. Um, so Osiris has been in the city since a very early, you know, early time. Yep. So the uh, the fallen have suffered a very large blow with the failure at the Battle of Six Fronts, 
and uh, they have decided, or I should say the House of Kings, in this case, uses that defeat uh, as a way to, I guess you could say manipulate, but convince the other houses, uh, specifically the House of Kings, Devils, Winter, and Wolves, that the only way they're going to win is if they all make a concerted effort to attack the city. That's that's a, I mean, they're, it's kind of like using <laughs> using Raziel's own words against him. A little bit. Like, <laughs> hey, there's a united point. Let's go ahead and unite too. Like, why not? Like, that's. But but the the houses that are mentioned here. So we talked about House Devils. Uh, what were the other three? Yep. So the House of Devils, the House of Kings, the House of Winter. Okay. And the House of Wolves, and all of these are still because I, I I think I remember Kings, Wolves, and Winters sound new to me for some reason, um, at least from from our last episode. Uh, are these reformed houses, or 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 are they original to Reese? Yeah, so um, a little bit of both. Uh, House of Kings is original to Reese. Its main goal, funnily enough, was uh, Elixni unity which is kind of what it's accomplishing here as well. Um, yeah. The House of Devils was previously the House of Dancers, which we talked about. They were the yep. ones known for their extreme skill with technology. Uh, the House of Wolves was previously the House of Gentle Weavers. Uh, they were known for their, uh, in Reese, they were known for their ability to create art. And uh, House of Winter was still, uh, had the same name in Reese. And House of Winter were the seekers of knowledge and research. They were the ones that, uh, you know, did a lot of the inventing and, and you know, chemical advancement uh, during their golden age. So we're talking about a lot of different houses that have a lot of really, really high-level skills. Yes. As well as now being pirates for hundreds of years and being ruthless. So this, like, this concentrated effort... I mean, this this could be it. This could be the the end of humanity. This could be the end of the guardians. The uh, the Elixni certainly wanted it to be. Um, yeah. And so, what was interesting is the House of Kings organized this. They're the ones that reached out to all the other houses and said, "Look, we we need to unite. We need to stand on a united front and attack all at once and just overwhelm them." But, and very cunningly. They said, we think the best group to lead that attack is going to be the House of Devils. Uh, because they're, they're the ones with previous experience on sieging the city and will know what weaknesses we should be looking for. Which, A, is not untrue. B, it kind of takes, even though Kings is organizing this, it takes them out of the like immediate role of responsibility if things go terribly wrong. I was fixing to say, I, I've, I've heard delegation before, and that's exactly <laughs> what it sounds like. <laughs> well, and they're also seemingly giving the House of Devils an opportunity to redeem themselves. So Devils oh, sure. is probably going to be very interested in taking this opportunity because if Absolutely. they're successful, they're like, yes, look at us. We, we you know, conquered the usurpers. Uh, and so 
Kings is kind of banking on like obviously they it's, want it's things to go well. It's literally a win-win for Kings. Oh right. Like if if they win, oh look, we united the peoples. If they lose, oh well, House Devils didn't do that. They still suck. Yep. Yep. Like, that's exactly what it is. Holy cow. That's 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 kind of shifty and shafty, but it's <laughs> it's kind of brilliant. Like I like it. <laughs> and uh and we see some of that in the House of Devils D1 Grimoire card, uh, where it describes them as uh saying, These are the scourge of the city, the shadow below our walls. This is the house that led the battle at Twilight Gap, the house we tell our children about to frighten them into behaving. The House of Devils now devoted great strength to pillaging the cosmodrome in old russia so like even from the guardian perspective this was house of devil's fault this is kind of how it goes yeah so this great concerted effort of elixney forces becomes what we know now as the battle of twilight gap and uh twilight gap in and of itself is a military base that was just on the outskirts of the walls of the city. Uh, and the fallen attacked hard, very hard. Yeah. Uh, if we look at the D1 Grimoire card for walkers, for the fallen walker tanks, I. Uh, It says that at the Battle of Twilight Gap, walkers engaged in thunderous artillery duels with the city's many gun positions. Um, So I'm I'm envisioning this just full-out battle, like, war-scale battlefield with walker tanks. Probably tens, if not hundreds, of walker tanks that are constantly firing on the you know gun positions along the city wall and outside the city wall at you know at the actual military base that that has kind of become the central point for this invasion uh we have a lot of the same guardians that were defenders of six fronts and a lot more <laughs> with them yeah uh, so the uh, the the military operations were uh, all managed by Lord Saladin, and we see that in the D1 Grimoire card for Iron Banner Reputation, I uh, which is a strange Grimoire card, but it exists, and it says on it that a hero to the city and a legend in his own right, Saladin Forge led the city's defense during the battle for Twilight Gap. His protégés, Commander Zavala and Lord Shax, now lead the Towers Vanguard and Crucible, respectively. Say, Saladin remains close to Zavala, though his relationship with Shax has been strained since the Twilight Gap. And there's a reason for that. Uh, Yeah. So, not only were the Fallen, you know, coming out in really heavy hitting uh and there were many many guardians defending the walls of the city they actually cracked a hole in the city walls and the guardians were on the back foot they were in the defensive things were looking very bleak 
and Saladin made a call to Shax. And this is the outcome of that. We're going to read the lore card from the mountaintop legendary grenade launcher. It goes like this. He hears over the radio, Fireteam leaders, do not advance on the wall. Fall back to the Ridgeback district. Shax freezes with a vandal's windpipe in his fist. He waits for Saladin to justify the strategy. I repeat, all teams rally at the Ridgeback district. Do not advance. The city is lost. Shax drops the vandal and empties the rest of his clip into a captain. He and his fire team are running on fumes. The dead, fallen, and guardian alike litter the ground of Twilight Gap. Shax, do you copy? He risks a look over his shoulder at their home, the place they call the last safe city. Not burning, not yet. Gritting his teeth, he reloads. Shax, your orders are to retreat. He sees a gap in the onslaught of invaders and gestures to the others. Nakechi, take our body in truce. Liu Fang with me. Bray, cover us. The battlefield is not your stage, Shax. This is not about glory. But his fire team doesn't hesitate. Shax, for the final time, fall back. And the six of them crest the wall, and Shax cuts the feed. And we see a little bit about how this played out in another gun, uh, the exotic Devil's Ruin. Uh, from Saint-14, we get the description. I recall Shax defiantly ignoring Saladin's orders to fall back, driving his fire team to a final push on the wall of the last city. It ended up providing the momentum we needed to save the city, but also splintered bonds between the titans. Perhaps I can help suture these wounds now that I have returned. Dude, I just, I, I have like these chills, like thinking of Shaq's just like, yeah. fuck that shit. We're taking this. We're taking the battle to them. Like uh, Bray, Anna Bray, he's, that's, that's one of the names that I heard yep. that, that he, that's on, that's on the fire team there. Um, I mean, it's so, it's, it's so like, it's, it's electrifying, right? Like it's like Saladin's like fall back. We've lost like this is game. Over. And Shaq's is just like to hell with that. Like we're guardians. We, we, this is what we train for in the crucible. Cause it, you mentioned at this point in time, like Shaq's is already leading the crucible. Uh, um, what would you call that activity? The, the, the crucible. Um, yeah. Cru- crucible activity. Now the, the here's, here's a, an interesting thing though. This moment, the the Battle of Twilight Gap, is what I essentially it, what inspires Shax to change the Crucible from because currently Crucible is like a funzy way for Guardians to settle bets amongst themselves, kind of thing. And right. this is the moment where he decides the Crucible is going to be a training ground, and yeah, I am going to make sure that this never happens again that we will always yeah. be prepared for whatever comes at us i and that's why there's all these try hard sweats in crucible now uh, you know what 
when another Twilight Gap happens, <laughs> we'll be happy they're there. We'll be ready. <laughs> Holy cow. Now, and like there's, and, and again, if I'm jumping ahead, I'm sorry. Uh, there's multiple things that happens at Twilight Gap as well. Like Anna Bray goes missing at some point. Yes. Um, uh, Osiris is seen as fighting on multiple fronts. Yep presumably at the same time which um we we learned later on was his that he was doing um god i can't remember what his it's called reflections. now the reflections yeah. from the infinite force like he he's actually able to like split himself into multiple things that's part of the, that's how he uses the light is to create reflections of himself that are actually battling at multiple fronts at the same time like it's there's so much heroism happening at this at this battle but like, what's what's it like on the Elixni side, though? Yeah, this was such a huge fight. Um, yeah, it, it was it, like like you said, there there were so many big, famous now guardians that were there. You had Anna Bray, who you know reportedly her golden gun fired so hot that there are still like white hot bullets from it embedded in the battlefield to this day. Yeah, you, know, you had Shax, who was the commander of this of the fire team holding the section that made the decision to go against orders and charge straight through. You had Osiris, who, you know, again is creating these reflections of himself with, you know, just cutting down any elixir he can find with his dawn blades. You have uh, you know, Saint 14 who was also there because he was there to witness Shax, you know, do the, the rallying call to, to push ahead. I, all of these figures that I just, I get this, this wonderful picture of, you know, the, the city wall behind them with a, a smoking crater in it. And just the sea of Elixni, the sea of fallen in front of them hearing that like fall back we've lost the sit we're abandoning the city and them just you know just creating that that flying v and making a wedge right through it yeah uh, but mighty duck style <laughs> <laughs> from the elixir point of view this was a fight that should have gone very different uh yeah they had you know all of the 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 uh Houses that were within the um, the Jovian ring were there, were present, were making a concerted effort, poured all their resources into it. Walker tanks and shanks and any, any abled body elixir that could fight was there fighting to try and make that, that one last push. And they probably would have won if the fourth house had been present. Oh no. Somebody missed roll call. <laughs> so we, we mentioned house of Kings, house of winter, house of devils and house of wolves had all come together for this. The house of wolves was not at the battle of twilight gap. And there's a very good reason they were not at the Battle of Twilight Gap, because they were busy starting a war of their own without knowing it at first. So, if we can see exactly what happened to them, when we look at the D1 Grimoire card 
for Skolas Kel of Kells, which was technically kind of the very first lore book of D1, titled The Myriad. And uh, it has this to say. The transmission was broadcasted on all fallen frequencies, lacking at the time the ability to crack fallen encryptions. The master of crows could discern only that the fallen houses were all talking to each other. That was a thing that had never happened before. Then the Techians looked earthward and saw the fallen there becoming bolder. Tactics suggested they were planning a massive attack. We had no interplay arrays, no way to warn Earth. We thought we would we wouldn't be able to do anything other than watch. But then the wolves arrived from the Jovians. Their army was hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions, strong. A dark wave that washed over the reef, rushing toward the earth. As soon as we saw them, it was clear that if the wolves reached earth, the city would fall. Seemingly oblivious to our existence, the bulk of the wolf fleet stopped to regroup at Ceres. The queen's decision was this. Attack the house of wolves, thereby saving earth, but revealing the reef's presence to any and all enemies in the quadrant. Or remain silent, preserving the reef's invisibility, but allowing the city to perish. Her harbingers ripped into Ceres, destroying the asteroid entirely, and killing Veraxis. Kell of wolves, and more than half of his house in one blow. The remaining wolves scattered, burrowing deep into the belt for cover. Their new claimants to Kelship quickly rose. Eryxis, wolf baroness, Paraxis, the howling, and Skolas, the rabid. And that's the end of that lore card. Let's go! Man, this is just... <laughs> Like I, that that moment, right, where it's like, okay, th- like the 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 awoken it and in the reef can see everything that's going on. Like they know that if this other house shows up, that's it, that's game over for humanity. And then and then it's like, well, then it, I, I guess like from the awoken point of view, it's then like, like what did we even come back for, right? Like. Obviously, they've come back from the distributary there. They've established themselves on the reef. We've got they've they've already been split again uh, uh, there at the reef. Like it, there's so little of them left of the of the original woken idea of like we need to help humanity, but then like we don't want to just be shown. We don't want to show our cards, and it, but then for like the harbingers to just be like, nah, we got this, and just decimate this entire house like it just it it shows how devoted the awoken are to humanity i think like that yeah. that's as much as we think of the guardians as being the guardians of humanity the awoken themselves queen mara and her people are so devoted to keep to 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 that original promise or that original idea that Mara had when they when they were first when when the darkness first hit and the collapse was starting and and she's out there and boop into the distributary it it just drives home that point of like screw it 
let's we got to help him now like it's it's this is no longer a a matter of of hiding or not hiding this is a matter of save humanity and so she just tears in all these all the i mean kills their kel scat kills half their forces scatters them all to all the all the all the asteroids in the asteroid belt like yeah this is jesus and then and then starting a, a war essentially yeah with with that particular house so to to it's like it's like that double-edged sword right like they've saved humanity but now they've got a problem the problem being this new house of elixir that is that has now has a power vacuum and i mean you mentioned as such with all the different Mm -hmm. all the different named uh elixir there um the most famous of which probably being skolos um who and again i know i'm jumping ahead eventually tries to become the Kel of Kells. Yep, but he has a long way to go before he gets there. Uh, yes, that's why I stopped myself. I'm getting better at this, but I'm... I, 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 there are bits of this story I know, and I'm like, let's get to those bits! And it's like, no, 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 there's stuff that happens in between. There's you so, have to slow there's down. There's so much good that happens in between. So we can see this engagement from another perspective. Uh, the very first engagement of what becomes known as the Reef Wars to the Awoken and the Scatter is what the Elixni called it. Uh, but we see from the Elixni's point of view, this engagement goes down in the D1 Grimoire card, Ghost Fragment Fallen 4, and it goes like this. Ceres rules the asteroid belt. Ceres is the white queen of this space, 400 million kilometers from the sun. Ceres is round. Round means power out here. Nothing else in the belt is big enough to crush itself into a sphere with its own gravity. Ceres has its own chemical stars, shavings of salt and ice that glint in orbit like a crown. There are other lights, newer stars, newer crowns. Warship engines. Another queen is coming to conquer Ceres, because Ceres is full of warrens and shipyards and habitats, because Ceres is round and lucky as a servitor, because Ceres is full of the wolves she wants to rule. Shark fierce ships gather in squadrons and tribes, skiffs, catches. The Kell of Wolves has a fleet gathered here. The Kell of Wolves heard the call and summoned the House of Wolves to prepare for the great battle on Earth. The salvation of the Kell's people depends on their ability to shatter the city. It is a matter of survival. Now the wolf fleet turns to meet the queen. See the squadrons of skiffs wrapping themselves in stealth, cold and transparent, knifing out invisible and brave. See the catches like broad blades, the bright thoughts of a servitor guiding them to battle. See them turning, accelerating, waking up their jammers and their arc guns. The Kell of Wolves will never make it to Twilight Gap. The Kell of Wolves put all that strength in one place, and now the Queen of the Reef is coming to break it. Out there, coming out of the dark, are the Awoken. Not so great a fleet, is it? Little fighters scattered around like four-pointed thorns. 
destroyers and frigates and salvaged hulls pulled out of the reef. And right at the front, at the very spear tip, flies the queen herself. The wolf Kel, practical, brave, tallies strength of metal and equipment. The Kel considers the chance that the Awoken have some secret weapon, something gleaned from hulks in the reef or whispered up by the witches, and sets that chance aside as folly. The Kel thinks the House of Wolves can win decisively, so the Kel sends challenge and warning. I am Lord of Wolves, the Kel sends. You are an empty thing with two dead souls. This is my house. These are my terms. Surrender, and I will only take your ships. The Awoken fleet cuts their engines. Drifts. The wolf strike elements, torpedo-armed skiffs, hidden under jamming and camouflage, find their firing lines. And the queen's ship broadcasts back. I am noble, too she says, O Lord of Wolves. The Kel doesn't mind a little banter before the kill. It gives the wolf ships longer to draw the battle away from Ceres. The Kel replies, You have no line. You have no power. Captains and barons signal their readiness. Skolas and Pyrsus and Irxus, Devis, Picus, Paraxus, all of them are bound by fear and loyalty, all of them ready for war. Starlight was my mother, the queen's ship whispers in eerie, erratic bursts. Servitors begin to report a strange taste in the void. And my father was the dark. Here, at last, too late, the Kel begins to fear. Call on them, then, the Kel sends one last mocking signal, and see what help they offer. And so the queen calls, as only she can. Every servitor in every catch hears it. Every captain and baron roars at their underlings as sensors go blind, as firing lines falter, as reactors stutter and power systems hum with induction. Stealth fails, space warps, the House of Wolves shouts in spikes of war code, maneuvers wild, fires blind. And behind the Queen's ship, the Harbingers awaken. And that's the end of that card. Man, I am so pumped up from that reading. <laughs> Holy crap, that was awesome. Like, let's go! I'm just... God... Okay, <laughs> take a breath. Take a breath. Okay, focus. All right. So, <laughs> God damn, Mara. Marasov is a badass and doesn't care about it. Like, she knows she's a badass. And just like, okay, so real Okay, I had a question before all of this, <laughs> and it all went to shit. Yeah. Okay. Is this story is is this entry being told from the point of view of what what is the the round ball is that is that a servitor telling this story? Um, it almost sounds like it's Ceres, the asteroid, telling the story about what's happening around it. Yeah, 
almost as like its own entity, right? Like almost Kinda. as like like one of the nine, like ta- telling this story of it's. Oh man, you know what that makes me think of? That makes me think of like the like darkness and like the the glaives and stuff that we brought to the to the like like it's remembering yeah. things. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, That's what that makes me think it, of. It is definitely told from like a third party perspective. Like whoever is telling yeah. us, whoever the narrator is, can see both sides and is just kind of reporting what's happening i think it's the asteroid like remembering what's happening it could be and god damn i am so amped and pumped up right now from that reading like it's a good one like like i'm shaking (laughs) like it's a good one it's so good um okay so these forces have 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 shown up here the the house of house of wolves um everything they brought everything every single kid toy yep. right this the the, the, <laughs> the stealth technology uh, every single fighter servitor catch ke- like everything every shank every everything that they have is is at this thing and they're stopping there to kind of like re do a quick regroup and and receive their orders queen sees this sends out her little her little scout her little oh look that's cute you got little scout ships and they come out and they're like oh that's like even the, even even the the lord of wolves is like ah, <laughs> that's cute and then is like you know throws his taunt out there and then of course mara's flagship shows up this which i guess at the time isn't really a flagship it's it's this hobbled together <laughs> yeah <laughs> i it's it's odd like every time i think of the queen and her flagship i'm instantly drawn to that cutscene in taking king right where right, she yeah. has that that catch that massive catch that she's she's that's hers she's this is my flagship and and so like to think of to think of the awoken at this point in time in history to see them as this hobbled together like I mean, they've got like cargo ships that they're using as like both bed bedding space and fighting space and living space. Like this hobbled together little fleet of nothing, but then to have Mara at the center of it, the queen of the Awoken, Starlight was my mother, and f- my father was darkness, and and then that taunt of well, call upon then the, them then and see what helps that does. And she says, okay done and just decimates this like basically single-handedly decimates this entire fleet like by herself half of it just i mean just okay (laughs) half of it all right all right yeah but which you gotta gotta (laughs) think about here from the the previous reading they were estimating this was potentially millions of elixir yeah. And so even half of it, she has wiped out <laughs> half a million combatants with a That's single what attack. I'm saying. It, it just a little flick of her wrist, just flip flip. Little 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 Mara flare going on there. Holy cow. That's just it it's just ha! <laughs> I've got like chills and stuff. This is this is such a good reading. Um but yeah, so I mean it, what what where does what 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 the hell <laughs> where where does this lead us to then this this decimation of the house of wolves and mara just kind of like baha sucks to suck so as as much of a absolute domination as this initial battle was the the scatter as the elixir call it um what happened afterward 
or what this led to was a uh was a war the the reef wars and we're in an interesting point here because the rem- the remnants of the house of wolves are not just fighting the awoken there's also this internal struggle for who is going to be the new leader that's that's what happens with the power vacuum man like you kill the leader and now every billy badass says well i should be leader and they try to fill the void it's it's that's a danger like on the one hand that's a dangerous game for mar to have played of just like take it out take him out take out half the stuff let and but at the same time it's almost like the smart thing for mar to do now she's created fight infighting within them because of that power vacuum and so now she's not having to face them one-on-one now they're now they're she's 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 created multiple fronts there which and and i guess to to kind of go back a little bit um after this little encounter here, like Battle of Battle of Twilight Gap happens, and spoiler alert, we won. Yeah, we the Guardians won. <laughs> the city is still Elixity standing. Lo- like, <laughs> like that's that. I guess that I I wanted to make that point clear on that side because like it jumps to the Reef Wars, but then like it's just like oh, Twilight Gap ended and we won. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's worth bringing up. Like we, you know that that push from shacks as saint said like gave them the momentum to to flip the the offensive essentially Um, and they were able to push back those three houses because they didn't have a house of a million strong combatants land as backup exactly and then and so again to take a a quick pause from the reef wars um as excited and amped up as and pumped i am for this to happen uh the the three houses that were there house of kings house of winter and forgive me third one devils um yeah all three houses survived okay that's that's what i wanted to make clear there is that the three houses there were not completely decimated like rain and stone right like they these these three houses have survived but uh but yeah so jumping back to reef wars now um we have a scattered the the a scattering of people and mara sitting atop her throne <laughs> yeah so you know the the kel is is dead along with a major portion of his forces the rest of them are scattered throughout the the asteroids of the reef and there are three uh main kind of candidates for kel ship i guess at this point i uh, and we if we look at the um D1 Grimoire for the Mechar Orbix 11. Uh, the Grimoire card on that says, After the scatter, the front runner for the Kel ship was Eryxis, Wolf Baroness, while Skolas and Paraxis scrambled over the Calyx servitors. Eryxis secured the command of the Orbix servitors. Their history is still unclear, but Orbix originate with either with either another fallen house, perhaps one that the wolves absorbed, or a modification of the Calyx servitors. Either way, the Orbix servitors held permissions on Calyx servitors, which allowed Eryxis to wreak havoc among her rival's forces at the start of the Reef Wars. So the very initial play by one of these candidates, Eryxis, is to capture this particular model of servitor because she knows that that servitor 
has like, for lack of a better term, has admin rights to that's, some of the that's other the way I read that servitors. <laughs> that's literally how I heard yeah. that. Like, <laughs> she just, she just, she just grabbed the prime server. It was like, all right. I've got all the passwords and admin yep. rights. Let's go. <laughs> and uh, and this puts her in a very strong position because you know she now can control the servitors of her rivals and just completely destroy their supply lines and wreak havoc with their ability to use their technology. Essentially, I mean, just completely shut them down. I mean, that's 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 the anytime you can disrupt a supply line like that's you're gonna win a war. Yeah. That's that's how that's how you win a war. You shut down some control, shut down or control supply lines, and and the rest just kind of falls into place. Yeah. Now, obviously, this is a big problem for both Skolas and Paraxis's uh, different groups. And although Skolas didn't in particular, uh, you know, decide a, a plan, uh, a member of Skolas's group took matters into their own hands and we see from the d1 grimoire of picus the disavowed uh, it says what picus's assault lacked in finesse it made up for in sheer numbers and desperation erixus's catches were pinned against eos and the two sides engaged in the bloody bitter battle known as the eos clash which left erixus dead and both fleets nearly decimated. In the aftermath, the crows salvaged one Orbix servitor, believed to be the last of its programming. Though technically a victory for Skolas, the Eos clash came at a terrible cost. He docked Picus's arms and demoted him to a dreg as punishment for his recklessness. After the Eos clash, Skolas decided to change his strategy for the war. So Skolas has this commander, presumably a captain at this point, named Picus, right. who decides that uh, he's just going to take a bulk of their forces from the sounds of it and just ram them into Erixus's forces because he knows that Erixus is stuck between literally between an asteroid and their fleet. Yeah. I mean that's that's Blitzkrieg tactics, just overwhelming force as fast as you can. Yeah. That that was absolutely what he was trying for here and ultimately succeeded in uh eliminating Erixus, who previously was was in the position of power. That's a heavy loss to take though. Because, I mean, you've already, as far as, like, again, looking at the bigger picture of the House of Wolves, lost half of it to Mara. Now you've got three main factions kind of fighting it out between each other. These two, you know, he, two of them, one of them rams the bulk of his forces into the other, and presumably a butt-ton die yeah, there, too. Yeah, neither, I mean, obviously, Eryxus is killed, and I, I assume her forces as well. And Skolas's forces are barely hanging on to the point where he deems this, although technically a, a victory, like worthy of punishment and how poorly. Yeah. They I mean, and, and he docks the guy that led the thing too. So like, yeah. 
Yeah, it's a victory, but at what cost type thing. Right. So Skolas is now in the scenario where he's eliminated the main threat to Kelship, but does not have nearly as many resources as he used to. And now he's deciding, I need to figure out a different way to go about fighting this war. And so we have a group brought in that uh, is known as the Silent Fang. And the Silent Fang's D1 Grimoire card tells us that commanded by the fearsome Drevis Wolf Baroness, the Silent Fang are a unit of elite stealth warriors and assassins. Instrumental in Skolas's rise to Kelship amongst the wolves, the Silent Fang also menaced the queen during the Reef War. It was Drevis and the Silent Fang who raised Amethyst and tricked the queen's armada at the Battle of Eris. So we're going to discuss some of those battles in more detail here, but Skolas has now decided, I do not have the forces to do an all-out gunfight, so I'm going to start getting sneaky, essentially. I'm going to start planning assassinations and subterfuge, and this group, the Silent Fang, under command of Drevis, is the, the you know, tool for that job. It's like 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 the Navy SEALs, like the special forces, like they're they're the elites of the elites. Yeah. That's that Skolas yeah. is like uh, yeah, I yeah, they they could be useful. So we see uh the next portion of this fight uh is told in the grimoire card of Greor Wolf Assassin. And it says with Skolas and Praxis still fighting, no one expected either to attack the reef. So by the time Paladin Abra Zyre arrived at Amethyst, it was too late. The Silent Fang, led by Drevis herself, had massacred almost everyone in the station, including coven leader Pinar Venge. Paladin Zyre gave chase and followed the Fang to Iris, where Behind the glare of Iris's brightness, a wolf catch lay in wait. But the catch was no match for Zyre's smaller, faster ships or her ferocity. When the battle of Iris was over, however, it was not Drevis at Zyre's feet. It was Paraxis. Graenor, another of Skolas's loyal vassals, had attacked Paraxis's catch at the same time that Drevis had attacked Amethyst. He, too, had lured Praxis to Eris. Then the Silent Fang had used Eris's unusual brightness to disappear just as Zyre and Praxis arrived in the system. So there's some subterfuge this going on. This is all just a... Yeah, this is like... This is like the whodunit yeah. type thing. Like, there's a there's a lot of backstabbery going oh, on absolutely. here and you mentioned you mentioned a uh a, a, a venge is this petra's uh, i'm assuming mother father sister um so sister yeah, that's right that's the, right that's right the raising of amethyst is where petra venge's that's sister right. died and uh that that you know event became the fueling force behind petra becoming a uh a corsair I was going to say that's what changed her from being a learning to be a Techian to being a a a fighter, yeah. a, a corsair. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay. But, so yeah, lots of lots of backstabbery going on here, and I, I like like you said, they, the Silent Fang used the brightness of you know whatever the thing was nearby to just poof into nowhere land. But I mean, it's kind of smart on the other side too to like, oh hey, that force is is attacking. They've got to be kind of on the back foot. Let's go backstab them. Yeah. <laughs> but and then for the Silent Fang to just disappear basically. And the paladin to be like, well, who the hell is this surrendering to me? Like, not even, not even having a clue, yeah. like, really, what's going on here? Yeah. So to that's just that's kind of that's kind to, of funny to back up just a moment, try and give a a broader perspective because there's a lot of names being thrown around in these. There are. Um. So what what's happening is Skolas has uh, Paraxis, the other, you know candidate for Kelship that he's he's has to deal with and they're still fighting the awoken who they're technically at war with as well and right. skolas makes the the play of i'm gonna send my elite force the the uh silent fang to go attack this awoken settlement and get them all riled up and angry and then i'm also at the same time gonna send a single assassin of the silent fang to go attack and annoy Paraxis. That's a, that's a bold move. That is a bold move. And I'm going to have both of those parties lead the people chasing them to this single point, which is Iris. And I know that the, the Iris is so iridescent, you know, that it, it, it shines so brightly. It reflects the sun so much that like, really really bad glare you know on a car trip you can't really see what's what's in in front of yeah. you until you're you know right up on it and they use that as a way to force a, a conflict between paraxis and paladin zyre and uh paladin ends up coming out on top and now has paraxis uh in custody so now basically it has eliminated the third power power vacuum yep. candidate that's that's super effective uh-huh. gee man skolas is pretty 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 good thinker there yeah <laughs> so has eliminated the candidate and is uh now only has a single enemy in the awoken yeah now now it is a 1v1 well with a lot less forces though yeah, yeah. And uh, we see that Skolas continues to be crafty about things. So the the continuation of this is in the lore card for Drevis, the Wolf Baroness from D1. And it says, After a string of defeats at Amethyst, at Hygieia, arguably at Iris, Prince Aldrin's crows finally made headway against the wolf's encryption. They quickly discovered a seemingly unimportant piece of information. The House of Wolves had incorrectly calculated the eccentricity of the asteroid Bomberga. So Paladin, Paladin Imogen Rife chased Drevis, Wolf Baroness, directly into Bamberga's trajectory. Drevis's catch was destroyed, and both she and her high servitor, Calix IV, were captured. It was the first decisive reef victory since the scatter. But on her way back to Vesta with her captives, Paladin Rife was attacked at Palace. 
So the, the Awoken have finally cracked the encryption on Elixni Communications, and they go, oh, they have miscalculated the orbit of this particular asteroid. Yeah. If we chase them into the path of the asteroid when they're not expecting it to be there, it will, you know, it will destroy their ship for us, and then we'll come in and clean up what's left, essentially. Thanks. Thanks, physics, for doing our job for us. <laughs> so Paladin Imogen Rife uh, forces Drevis, the leader of the Silent Fang, uh, into that position. Her catch is destroyed. She and her servitor are both captured, and Paladin Rife is coming back to the reef in victory with these two in custody, but is attacked at another asteroid called Pallas before she can make it back. Okay. And we see the outcome of that in uh, the D1 lore card, Wexus the Meek. So that one says, under Skolas' vassal Pyrrhus, called Palace Bane, the wolves amassed the largest wolf fleet that had been seen since the scatter. The queen could not use her harbingers against them. If she did, Imogen Rife and her fleet and all the people of Palace would have been killed as well. So for years, the siege endured. At first, neither side dared to attack the other. On Palace, Paladin Rife knew that Pyrrhus had the firepower to destroy the asteroid. Above Palace, Pyrrhus held back, hoping to rescue Drevis and Calix Four and the other wolves that the Paladin had captured at the Battle of Bamberga. The queen sought to defuse the siege by sending Armada paladins Abra Zyre and Kamala Rior into the Hildean asteroids, where Skolas was rumored to be hiding. With the help of his tactician, Skolas was thwarted by them. The stalemate over Palace was broken by, of all beings, a dreg. Ironically dubbed Weeksis the Meek, the dreg led dozens of followers in an unsanctioned attack on Palace. They managed to blast a hole in the Athens hull, but were stopped soon after by Commander Halam Fen. Wexus and the surviving followers were imprisoned alongside those they had come to save. So we have this stalemate at Palace. Yeah. Because the, the wolves have positioned themselves so that they are within the orbit of Palace which apparently has a colony on it, knowing that the Awoken can't fire harbingers on them without destroying all of their own people that are still on Palace. Yep. And the, the Lixni, the Fallen, are stuck because they know that if, you know, that their, their, uh, their leader of the Silent Fang, Drevis, as well as a high-ranking servitor, are being held hostage and they want to get them out before, you know, they can, before they, they deal any real damage to the Awoken, you know, for fear that the Awoken will kill their captives, essentially. I was going to say, it's this, it's this big, like catch 22. Like they, they don't want to attack cause they want, they want to get their prisoners back. I mean, and obviously the servitors are, we talked about this last episode, like the servitors are everything like that's their ether creators and everything. Yeah. Um, but then to get like the leader of the of the Silent Fang back as well. But if they if they 
just stay positioned up above, they know that the queen can't do what she did <laughs> before <laughs> and just blow them up because it'll just it'll blow the the colony up as well. Exactly. So it's it's. But then, as soon as they leave their ship, like now they're now they're fodder for whatever is on the is at the colony there with the other paladins. So it's it's this it's this giant like, well, I can't do this because I can't do this because I can't do this. So yeah, yeah. that's a yeah, that's a. But it, but then this little <laughs> I almost I giggle this little dreg right like he's just like. I, I I think of like the, like this like mighty mouse like here he comes to save the day and he's leading all these little forces and then just gets they they just get screwed yep. like <laughs> it fails miserably yeah, he busts <laughs> the hole into the the ship holding these prisoners and you know as the the dust clears and the the rubble settles there stands the awoken commander with all of their soldiers going all right get in the cell like <laughs> get in the cell. So I uh, we see how things play out from here in the D1 Grimoire for, for Pyrsus Palace Bane. Uh, and it says, While Wexus's attack may have been unsuccessful, it inspired another, deadlier assault. This time, Pyrsus, the Bane of Palace herself, led another strike, blasting through the same hull breach that Wexus had weakened in his assault. Pyrsus's strike team managed to free Calix Four, but Paladin Imogen cut them off outside of Drevis's cell. Pyrsus might have escaped, but she refused to retreat without Drevis. Paladin Rife destroyed Calix Four to prevent the wolves from recovering it, and eventually the wolves were forced back, but not before Pyrsus slew Paladin Rife with her own blade. Finally, Commander Hallam. Imogen Rife's protege, was able to establish a line of communication with the rest of the reef. Working with the Techians and the Crows, they created an enormous visual illusion of the Harbingers, making it seem as if the Queen had finally decided to cut her losses and destroy the asteroid. It worked. The false Harbingers so scared the wolf fleet that they broke ranks. When the combined forces of Commander Fenn, Paladin Leona Brill and Paladin Kamala Rior slammed down, capturing Pyrrhus, Palace Bane, and driving the rest of the wolves off. Hallam Fenn brought Drevis to Vesta years after Imogen had been set out to do so, and as a reward for his service, the queen bequeathed him Rife's place among the seven paladins. So... The way this all nice. kind of ends on Palace nice. is, uh, you know, they they see that oh, this dreg was able to get that far. If we go in with a real force, surely we can do <laughs> <What>? this. Uh, <laughs> I, I like that logic, right? Like, well, shit, a dreg did it. <laughs> we we got we got captains. Right. To hell with that. Let's go. <laughs> so the, and they they succeed, but they they end up handicapping themselves because they get in. They're, they're, they free the servitor, you know, arguably yep. the more important war the more important resource. Of the two. <laughs> uh, that's that's kind of janky. Like at that point in time, you think the elixir would be like, well, sucks to suck. See ya. And just jet. Right. <laughs> but, you know, Pyrsus, the, the captain leading this charge, is, decides, no, we are not leaving without Drevis. Ends up losing the servitor in the fight, although they are able to kill Paladin Rife. Uh, but all of this infighting gives 
the awoken the uh the chance they needed to establish communication you know with the main reef uh squadron and they devise this fake harbinger this illusion of harbingers and the wolves are so terrified by the thought of facing yeah. that again that they break rank and just run that's that that that's that's a part that i love like to to see something that i mean obviously they don't know it's an illusion but like they know what that can do and so like from the from the elixir side they're looking at this going oh well shit queen's finally decided to cut her losses we're screwed we're dead and just get the hell out of there yeah that's man bold bold move cotton (laughs) (laughs) so yeah this leaves skolas with really only one more commander left and uh we see the what happens to them in the d1 grimoire for beltric the veiled and it says beltric the veiled left the hildians and amassed his fleet at fortuna to replenish his catch's ether from the organic compounds found on the asteroid's surface. His ships landed on Fortuna one at a time, the rest forming a defensive screen around its surface. He believed that Paladin Zyre would attack the screen and destroy her fleet against the shield wall. But Abra Zyre's fury over the Battle of False Tidings, where she was tricked to attack a different fleet, had chilled over the years into an icy, clever resolve. She separated her forces in two and engaged Beltrix Vale with what he thought was her entire host. But in secret, Abra deployed her second fleet with a weapon the Reef had been working on since Bamberga. Carbidus, a gravity weapon, strong enough to knock asteroids off course. Carbidus caught asteroid Tinet in its beam and flung it, into Fortuna, destroying both and severely damaging Beltrix's fleet. Beltrix was easily captured in the ensuing chaos and brought swiftly to the Queen. The fight became known as the Fortuna Plummet, as are, on occasion, the remains of Fortuna and Tanet as well. After the Fortuna Plummet, one of Prince Aldrin's crows returned with a message from a fallen, by the name of Varix of the House of Judgment. So we've got Skolas's last commander here who's trying to resupply uh, at this Fortuna uh, asteroid. And uh, the way that, you know, Paladin Zyre decides to deal with it is split her forces and then literally throw another asteroid at them and just sandwich that's, them between the two. That's the part that blew my mind. Like... I mean, okay, whatever. Physics be physics, but whatever. <laughs> it's it's fine. It's whatever. It's whatever. So after making an asteroid sandwich, uh, yeah, Skolas is kind of out of options here, and uh, we we see what ends up becoming of he's, them. He's got to have like no forces by this time. Yeah, it's pretty much just like him he's gotta... and whatever his immediate like fleet is. Yeah. Like his little entourage, that's it. Like they, he's got to have nothing by this point. And then, of course, uh, Varix was yep. mentioned in in this last one. And and Varix, of 
course, being the only, the sole member of House Judgment. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I guess at this point in time, the last surviving member of the House Judgment. We've yet to meet another, so yeah. I'd I'd say he's the last surviving member then. So Varix has seen the writing on the wall, and comes to uh, a crow, you know, one of the the awoken. Uh, kind of spies and scouts and and says you know i have a message for the awoken people if if you know they will listen and uh we see what what becomes of all this in the next d1 grimoire of calyx 12 and it says in desperation scolas personally led an all-out assault on the military fortress of Cybele. Little did he know that the queen knew of his plans, thanks to the word of Varix of the House of Judgment. No sooner had Skolas's catches arrived at the asteroid than all four Armada paladins, Abra Zire, Kamala Rior, Liana Birrell, and Hallam Fenn, caught him in a pincer movement. Calix Twelve, the high servitor of Skirvik, Skrivix, the sharp-eyed, tried to escape, but Abrazire chased it down. Skolas's Cybele uprising had failed. He, Calix-12, and the rest of his leaders were cast into the Queen's prison, and the Reef Wars were finally over. So, Varix's betrayal uh, yeah. led to the capture and ending of the war. Finally, I just the elixir are just. But I mean, like, I don't. Like, on the one hand, it's like, did they really need his betrayal at that they, point? They were not doing too hot. I think Varix's goal at that point was just reduce the cost of life, essentially, like re- reduce sure, the sure the body count as much as he could at that point. Because because we think of him from the from the House of Judgment. Like their whole purpose was like their their thoughts were law of land and all that jazz. I, I I guess I guess he's trying to just see some type of like silver lining here of like yeah. well maybe if I survive, it's like obviously all of House of Wolves are just they're decimated at this point. I mean they there can't be more than like hundreds left. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, there are fractions of their original force. Yeah. Um, and I think we see what kind of Varix's plan was here for the, for, you know, I think from Varix's eyes, existence is better than extinction. Yeah. Regardless of how yep. we get there. And so we see yep. in the, the final reading for tonight, uh, in the D1 grimoire of Savix the Queenbreaker, it says, Varix of the House of Judgment declared Queen Mara Sov the new Kel of Wolves and advised those captured at Cybele to serve her. The first among these people to pledge their loyalty to the Queen was one called Savix, who was given the honor of serving the Queen's throne room to the right of the Queen herself. And so... Varix makes the play of she has proved herself to be stronger than any yeah. other in our house. Let us recognize her as the new Kel. And so our house of wolves can continue 
Maybe not in the yeah. same way, but in a way. Survival is is better than extinction. I, I, especially at this point, like the queen has already proven multiple times that she can just, you know, boop, snap them out of existence, essentially. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. No, that's that's. <laughs> so with the okay. ending of the Reef Wars comes the ending of our episode tonight. Yay! Um, okay. Uh, well, shoot. Shoutouts then? Yeah, so we've got uh, a couple shoutouts for tonight. Um, first one comes to us from a Audible review. Uh, a J. Enox. Uh, Enox. Say, uh, was very kind. Left us a, a five star on there. Thank you very much. Uh, and they said... Great storytelling, great personality, never fails to bring a smile to my face. I've been listening on Amazon Music for a while, but it doesn't have a rating system yet. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Yeah. Yay, thank you. Yeah. I love it. Uh, And the second shout-out for tonight comes to us from Apple Podcasts. Uh, Comes to us from a user, Squirrelfish. (laughs) (laughs) Which is another fun one. I love them. I love all the fun usernames. They uh, were very kind and left us a a five star as well. Um, They said, an amazing guide into the Destiny universe. Uh, I love Destiny, but fell off for a bit due to becoming a parent. Congrats. Uh, Their enthusiasm and presentation have sucked me back in and keep me incredibly invested in the universe, even though I can't put in many hours in game. I recommend their content to lots of people wanting to learn more about Destiny. Well, thank you. Yay! That makes that makes me smile. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um. Yeah. No. I. I. I totally understand the whole. Like, once you become a parent, like a lot of things kind of just fall to the wayside. So it's. I'm. I'm glad that we're able to to keep to keep Destiny's spark alive in you. So yeah. Yeah. Yay! Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad that uh. We can, we can keep the universe alive in, in some way for you. Uh, and that you're not doing what one of our clan members does uh, or is doing <laughs> after uh, they had children, and that is to just never sleep and use that to play the game. So yep. good on you for being responsible. Sleep, <laughs> Sleep is for the weak. Yeah, to hell with that. Sleep is for yeah. me. Um, okay, well, uh, I guess I got my thank you then. Uh Damn, this I don't know. This is a hard one. I I don't know who to thank. Well, I've got a suggestion for you then. Okay. How about we uh we break the fourth wall a bit with our thank you tonight and we thank our uh clan member Eclipse for providing the wonderful new graphics that are everywhere. Oh yeah. Yeah, I told I yay, yay. Yeah, he came up with these really 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 cool graphics. Uh, that we've got that we can use now for our our uh, everything for our Twitter for our our um, pod Podbean podcast all everything like they and they look amazing like they're I I absolutely love it so thank you Eclipse for for doing that for us we really appreciate yeah, it yeah it looks awesome I'm loving it uh. I am too. And those should be live when this episode releases. So everyone's probably already seen them. Yay! Somewhere. Uh, 
Yay. But yeah, say so other than that, um, you know, just thank you again to everyone out there that that's listening to us, whether you leave a review or not. Uh, if you feel strongly enough to, to leave one, you know, rate us what you think we're worth. We, we, uh, always enjoy reading those and, uh, you know, you, you may see it show up in a, a shout out in the future. Um, if you just want to reach out, uh, outside of a review, say what you like, uh, request of what, what you want us to cover in the future or something like that. You can reach us on Twitter, uh, at myths and stories spelled the same way the title of the the show is and uh we review those periodically and try and fit that stuff in when we can too yeah uh all right well um i i also have to thank all my animals for providing all sorts of sounds in the background (laughs) that myth will inevitably have a rough time editing out um so good luck with that myth uh anything else myth i know (laughs) (laughs) but no that's it All righty. Well, then from all of us lore nerds to all of you guardians out there, we'll see you next week.